0: Well, friends, as we begin this new year, we will be resuming our growth groups, our small groups that study uh, the sermons that I preach. Those will start up again on the week of January 10th. Uh, we're taking a look at this sermon series called The Songs That We Sing. And this morning we're going to uh, not, not officially launch the sermon series, but we're going to take a look at a psalm that we all know very well, a psalm that we are very familiar with. I was thinking about it. I was, I was reflecting on the very first time that I went back to my home church after I'd started going to seminary to preach a sermon. And it's a very strange sensation to go back to the church where you grew up, where, where people knew you from the age of five years old, to go and stand in the pulpit and to preach a sermon to a community of faith. Because I knew when I went back there, there were people who remembered me, and they remembered how I behaved when I was a young child growing up in the church. All the commotion that I would create, probably, uh, well, I remember shooting rubber bands in the middle of worship services, which is a terrible thing to do. Don't want to encourage that. Sneaking into the kitchen and, and, and you know, grabbing a cookie that was supposed to be used for the dessert that was coming up. Um, You know, just just doing the things that, that children do as they grow up in the church. And I thought about that, and I thought of my Sunday school teachers who probably were like, Only by the grace and mercy of God has Paul Cunningham become a pastor and is now planning on, you know, pastoring his own church. Because there's something about familiarity that sometimes makes it difficult for people to be able to listen clearly. Because they remember stories, they remember behaviors, they remember conversations it's interesting, in the Gospel of Luke, in the fourth chapter, Jesus goes back home to Nazareth. Now, he's been away for a while, and now he's come back. He's been out and being tested by the devil, and, and now is ready to, be, ready to begin his, his earthly ministry. And, and he goes into the, 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 the synagogue there, and the people are so proud of him. And, and he starts sharing God's word, and, and they're like, isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? And, and you can just see the pride in those people. But then he keeps talking, and, and he, he uses familiar stories. He talks about Elijah and how Elijah went and, and took care of the widow. He talks about Elisha and how Elisha healed the, the Syrian uh, leader Naaman and healed him of his leprosy. And these are stories the people of Jesus' day knew, but Jesus told them with a twist. He was speaking familiar words, but they didn't want to hear what he was saying. Because in a way, he was comparing himself to Elijah and to Elisha. He was comparing God's word and saying, you know what? God's word, it it didn't always go. The people of Israel did not always receive God's word. Elijah, he healed an outsider. There were plenty of widows in Israel that Elijah could have fed and cared for, but he cared for an outsider. There were plenty of people with leprosy, and yet Elisha heals a guy from Syria, a person leading the command against the people of Israel. And this is strange stuff. But Jesus was trying to make a point and saying, don't get so familiar with God's word that you don't understand what it's really trying to say to you. And do you remember how the people responded to Jesus, quote unquote, familiar words? They chased him out of town. They led him to a cliff. They wanted to kill him. They're like, this is not Mary and Joseph's son. This is not what we remember. He's not speaking to us God's truth. And yet Jesus was. But they had grown so familiar, they couldn't hear what Jesus was really trying to say. They were so familiar with God's word and what they thought it was saying, they missed what it was really saying. And this, my friends, is always the concern of preaching a familiar text. I was laughing to myself. I was like, Christmas Eve, I preached Luke chapter 2. The shepherds, the angels, the birth of Jesus, we all know the pieces, and it's so hard to preach a text that everybody is familiar with. And so I thought, well, what the heck? Let's preach from Psalm 23 to kick off the new year. Another familiar text. Perhaps for some of us, it's the first Bible verse or Bible text that we memorized, and it's interesting because I feel like I memorized it with a different version that I'm going to be reading from today. I talk about goodness and mercy, and it's how I memorized it. And yet the NIV now translates it, goodness and love. And, and so we all kind of have different variations of how we memorized it. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a passage that sticks with us. I mean, how many memorial services do we go to that we hear the familiar and comforting words of Psalm 23? But what I want us to talk about this morning and to focus in on is I think Psalm 23 teaches us about God's provision. The way in which God provides for us, the way in which God provided for us in 2020 and the way in which God will provide for us in 2021, as we enter this new year, this new season, we see the provision of a path. We see provision amongst the shadows. We see the provision of a goodness and mercy that pursues us. And we see the provision of a table. Four things that God is going to provide, that God promises to provide. And so I want to tell you to listen for these words of provision as we hear the familiar words of Psalm 23 here's what we read the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for you are with me but words that promise us God's provision. God promises to lead us on the path, the paths of righteousness. God's word counsels us on how it is that we are to live on how it is that we are to speak and God through the power of his Holy Spirit guides us. He doesn't shove us. He doesn't kick us. He just guides us and we follow. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But the problem is this. You and I have a tendency to lose our way. Sheep had a tendency to lose their way, to go off the path. You and I listen for the wrong voices. We follow in the wrong directions. We start to live for ourselves and we lose our way. And this idea in verse three, where it talks about how God restores our soul or he refreshes our soul. The image is this. The image is the sheep that has gotten lost. The image is a sheep that has lost its way, has gone off the path. And so what does God do? The promise of the shepherd in Psalm 23 is that he will go looking for us. This is the beauty of Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. You remember in Luke 15, uh, Jesus tells tells three different parables about things that get lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And here's what we read in verses 3 to 7 of Luke 15. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus says a sheep gets lost. A sheep loses its way. It moves off of the path of righteousness. And do you know what the shepherd does? The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes looking for the sheep that has gone astray. And the shepherd picks up that sheep. And remember, we've talked about this before. This is not a little baby lamb. This is a full grown sheep, 50, 60, 70 pounds. And he places that sheep on his shoulders and he brings the sheep back to the flock and says, we need to rejoice. You see, this party that is happening is not just because the lost sheep was found. It is also a party that celebrates the character of the shepherd. The shepherd is saying, we're going to celebrate because the very nature of who I am is one who goes and looks for the lost. Is one who goes and looks for the ones who have lost their way. And we celebrate that this is the character of the shepherd. We celebrate that this is the very character of God. The one who provides for us a path. And who comes and retrieves us when we lose our way. The second thing is this. Is that there is provision amongst the shadows. And we need to remember this. Because as we make our way, particularly when we're in the valley, there are going to be shadows. Darkness has a way of infringing upon our lives. Children who go astray, a marriage that has soured, a relationship that has been broken a job that has been lost, a carefully planned retirement that has all of a sudden been blown up and the shadows begin to move in and the darkness begins to surround us. But the Psalm says we have nothing to fear because even in the midst of that, the good shepherd is with us. The Gospel of John, we talked about this on Christmas Eve. The Gospel of John says, Look, there is darkness. There's no doubt that there's not darkness. But the Gospel of John reminds us the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot overwhelm it. The light wins. I don't know how many of you saw this on Christmas Eve, uh, but it was wonderful. And uh, you probably recognize this place, Notre Dame, which, as you may recall, had a terrible fire in April of 2019, destroying much of the church. But for Christmas Eve, they brought in part of the Notre Dame choir and they sang Christmas carols. And notice how they're dressed, hard hats, protective gear, because they're standing amidst the rubble and the ashes. But if you heard them singing, it was glorious. And if you haven't heard it, you should go back and listen to it. But I love the image of amongst the rubble and the ashes. There stood these victorious singers praising God because God provides in the midst of the shadows. In the midst of our uncertainty, the promise is real. Jesus is for us. We don't live simply amongst the shadows. We live amongst the shadow of the cross, that cross that has been raised up against all the darkness of the world. The cross that says Jesus is with us. The third pursuit that we want to speak of or I want to talk about is, is this idea that the, the way this is described is it's saying that God's mercy and his goodness pursue us. Now, now, if you were like me and, and, and as a child, if you, if you memorized Psalm 23, you, you memorized it with saying surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's interesting, though, about that word, follow, it is a much stronger word than follow. It means pursue. It means actively going after something. So surely goodness and mercy or surely goodness and love will follow me. No, it's not follow me. It is pursue. Here's the way it's used in a couple of different instances in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 14, verse 8. Same exact word for follow, but it's translated pursue. Listen. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued. It wasn't just following. He pursued. He was chasing after the Israelites who were marching out boldly. When Israel is heading out of the land of Egypt, making their way to the promised land, Pharaoh is chasing after them. He's not following. He's pursuing. Psalm 34, verse 14. Psalmist says, "Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it." Do you see what this is saying? You see what David is writing. He's saying, "Goodness and mercy chase after us. They are running as hard as they can to keep up with us." This is this is relationship language. I was thinking about this when I when I first decided that I was you know wanted to to, to date Shannon. Um, I didn't just sit back and wait for her to figure out that I wanted to date her. I had to pursue that relationship. I had to show her that I really cared for her because I was like, this is the girl I want to marry. And if I'm going to show that to her, I have to pursue her. I have to be in conversations with her. I have to engage with her. She has to know that I am interested. And if I had just sat back and not done anything, then nothing would have happened. And what I love that David is saying is he's saying, do you know what goodness and mercy do in your life? They chase after you. You look back over your shoulder and you see the things that bring you fear and you see the things that bring you uncertainty. And do you know what is running faster than those things? God's goodness and mercy. And so, in that sense, we don't have anything to fear because God's goodness and mercy are pursuing after us. The final thing is this God provides a table, God provides a place. God has provided these green pastures that we talk about. And then we are told that God provides a table. We become a guest of God. And friends, this is the good news. This is why I, I hope you hear, uh, well, I hope you hear all of this, but, but this idea that God says, you're welcome. You're welcome to this table. You are my guest. This is a place where you are restored. This is a place where you experience redemption. This is a place where you are reminded of the goodness and glory and wonder and beauty of Jesus. There's this great feeding of the 5,000 that we read about in the Gospels. But I love how the Gospel of Mark describes it. Because I think it connects us back in to this idea of Psalm 23. And how the Lord is our shepherd. So as the apostles gathered around Jesus. This is Mark 6.30 around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And that sounds so great for the apostles. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, kind of a wilderness place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot all, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And you have to think they thought, oh, my gosh, what does this look like? They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And here's the key phrase. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Why does Mark tell us that? I mean, Mark is Mark's very simple gospel. He doesn't elaborate on a lot of stuff like Matthew and Luke and John do, but he wants us to know that Jesus said to the people, or Jesus said to the disciples to tell the people to make sure that they were to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now maybe the grass was green because it was springtime. That's certainly possible. Maybe it means something a little bit more. Maybe it's a reference to a pasture. Because Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34. I want to spend I want to just look at a couple of texts from Ezekiel 34. Because I think in Ezekiel 34, we're seeing some things, some prophetic words of Ezekiel that point us to Jesus. The first Ezekiel 34, verses 14 and 15. Now, the shepherds, the leaders of Israel have been messing things up. That's not a, a big surprise. But these words of Ezekiel foreshadow and point to one who is coming. This is verses 14 and 15. Speaking of a new shepherd. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land there. They will lie down in good grazing land and there they will be there. They will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the sovereign Lord. I'll provide them a pasture. I'll care for them. And I think in Mark chapter six, the provision of a table, the provision of food, becoming the guest of God. He's pointing us back to Ezekiel 34 in Psalm 23 and saying, the Lord will provide. He's going to provide a table and he's going to provide a meal. And so then we speak of the shepherd that is coming. If you keep reading in Ezekiel chapter 34, you get to these verses This is verse 23 and 24, speaking again of the son of David. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is why the Old Testament is so important for us, folks. Because here in Ezekiel 34, we we see Ezekiel, we see God pointing through Ezekiel, to the one who is the child of David, to the one who is the great morning star, to the one that we know is Jesus, who will come and shepherd his people and tend for his people. And so that is why in John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as my father knows me. And I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And being a good shepherd doesn't just mean that you are nice. Being a good shepherd means that you go out looking for your sheep when the sheep lose their way. Being a good shepherd means that you don't allow the shadows to overwhelm the sheep. Being a good shepherd means that you chase after people with goodness and mercy. And this is what Christ has done for us. Jesus has paid the price. He has made it possible for this table to be set. He sacrificed everything. He invited Judas to the table. To show what his unconditional love actually looks like. He pursues us with goodness and with mercy. And so I hope you will trust in the provision that God has for you. That he seeks to lead you in paths of righteousness. That he promises to be with you in the midst of the shadows. That his goodness and his mercy will pursue you and chase after you all the days of your life. And that you are now invited to share in this meal where we see God's promise coming to fruition and being made known to us in Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for this hope that you have given to us. Thank you that in Jesus, we encountered the good shepherd and Lord. Now would you feed us at this table, restore us and remind us of your goodness and of your grace. And set us free to serve you. We pray all this in the Good Shepherd's name. Jesus Christ. Amen.